Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The, the core of Frank's experience is also not unique to Frank. Uh, yeah, so I would like to know, what, what, what do you do with a person who has multiple violations? The point system on our licenses. Why did Maplewood even have this policy or engage in this practice? Um, revenue is my, I guess, if I had to pick one word, um, it, it is a lucrative practice. Frank Williams and his wife were driving home after a grocery trip in Maplewood, where he lived. On the way, he got pulled over. What happened next was something that, at the time, was normal in Maplewood. The police checked his record and found a two-year-old municipal violation. So they said, well, we're about to lock you up. I said, well, can she take my car home? They said, nope, she can't take that car home. We're going to lock you. Your car up and you too. I said okay. Williams eventually spent sixteen. Williams eventually spent sixteen days in three different jails: one in Maplewood, in Jennings, and one in St. Louis City. When he was moved, courts added additional fines for other years-old municipal violations. This pattern isn't unique. Williams was not a violent criminal, but in many St. Louis counties. 80-plus municipalities, courts treated a person's inability to pay fines or missing a court date as cause for arrest. But things have changed for Maplewood and Frank Williams. Early last month, on April 5th, Maplewood agreed to pay more than $3 million to settle a class action lawsuit. Williams is among thousands of potential plaintiffs, people who had been caught up in what attorneys call a system of debtors' prisons, a system that extracted fines and fees from its poorest and minority residents. Here to talk about this new settlement and what it means for cities like Maplewood, we welcome Nathaniel Carroll. Nathaniel is a senior staff attorney at Arch City Defenders, which first sued Maplewood in 2016. Welcome to our show. Thanks, Elaine. Now, Nathaniel, we just heard from one of your lead plaintiffs, Frank Williams, talking about being jailed in Maplewood in 2014. This lawsuit was first filed in 2016. Can you give us the basics? Why was the suit filed in the first place? So Arch City Defenders represents folks in municipal courts where the public defender and legal services and other organizations don't have um, sort of uh, jurisdiction or support for that. And so our primary goal was represent folks through these court systems, and one of which was Maplewood. So Frank was a, a client um, who had m- municipal tickets from Maplewood that we were defending. And as we went to these various municipal courts, including Maplewood, we noticed practices and patterns where individuals were being jailed and held for days on end um, except for the ability to pay. Um, they, they were, excuse me, their ability to pay wasn't ter- determined, um, and they were just assessed a bond that they had to pay in order to get out. So essentially they had to buy their own freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a practice that we knew to be unconstitutional, 
Um, that's certainly what we alleged in the lawsuit against Maplewood and several other municipalities in the St. Louis region who were jailing people um, who were not a flight risk or a danger to the community, and they weren't having judges typically review um, the conditions of confinement or set those terms of bail mm-hmm. compared to a normal um, how the normal system is supposed to work. Okay. And how is it supposed to work? So when someone is arrested, um, the conditions of their confinement um, are to be set by a neutral magistrate. That's under the, the Fourth Amendment um, because it's a deprivation of their liberty. And so a neutral magistrate in this instance would be a judge, whether it's a municipal judge or a state court judge. And they, they have to ask, is this person a flight risk? Is this person a danger to the community? And then if the answer to those two questions are no, then they have to impose the least restrictive means to ensure that that person will come back to court, which could just be releasing them mm-hmm. and giving them a new court date. What often happened in practice, though, is that um, the judge was not involved at all, mm-hmm. that the police officers uh, were making those determinations of how much money someone had to pay before they could purchase their freedom. Okay. And often the amount that you had to pay covered your fines and fees that mm-hmm. they were trying to collect. So you accused uh, Maplewood, not you personally, <laughs> our city defenders, as you are um, representing clients, uh, accused Maplewood of running a debtor's prison. What does that mean? Um, so the term debtor's prison um, simply means that you're imprisoning people for money that they owe. Um, it's a, a practice that in America um, sort of was systematized in the 19th century um, as a way for civil uh, creditors to file an action and and obtain uh, a warrant, essentially, to jail a person because they owed them money mm-hmm. without having a trial. Um, flash forward um, to our current system, it's under the guy the the municipal infractions and the jailings are sort of under the under the umbrella of a municipal court. Um, but the jailing decisions and the amounts of bond assigned um, to collect those quasi-criminal, quasi-civil debts mm-hmm. um, is, is typically decided um, sort of arbitrarily by the, the captors, the, the police. Okay. And why did Maplewood I mean, even have this poli- policy or engage in this practice? Um, Revenue is my, I guess, if I had to pick one word, um, mm-hmm. it, it is a lucrative practice. Rather than sending the debts to collection agencies or, or expending their own resources to mail out reminders or invoices, um, they use the police force. Mm-hmm. And the, po- the police um, have a lot of power. And once, you've, once someone has been arrested, they have very little choice but to try to call family and friends, scrape money together, or sit in jail until they pay. Mm-hmm. It's a very effective tool, um, and and it's one that is common in many municipalities here in the region. Right. And Maplewood made how much in in doing this and engaging in this practice? Um, so over year over year, about a million dollars. The 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 numbers vary year to year, um, and they they certainly dip in the pandemic a little bit, but have, have had since increased as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's to the tune of millions of dollars. Right. So there's the the dollars, but these are dollars that are coming from people. Talk with us, Nathaniel, about the people who were being jailed in the system and what populations were most affected. Um, so based on the the 
the idea that if you were in, jailed and you had money, you would pay that money to get out. So the people who were stuck in jail are the ones who did not have money to pay mm -hmm. tickets. And so that tells us that they're people living in poverty. Um, in the Maplewood courtroom itself, um, on, on any given night, back when we first started um, bringing this lawsuit, we noticed very clearly that when defendants were asked to sit on one side of the room and attorneys to sit on the other, that it, it very much looked like a very um, black African-American population, um, you know, um, and I think because of Maplewood's geography, where it's sort of situated at the edge of St. Louis City mm -hmm. and um, around several major interstates, it is both an, a, a sort of speed trap or an opportunity to, for police to um, to issue lots of tickets. Mm -hmm. um, and then Maplewood is also home to a lot of big box stores that offer low-cost goods um, or and also offer um, employment to folks who are in, um, you know, sort of low-income populations. Mm -hmm. In the surrounding areas, not just in Maplewood. That's right. And so yeah. a lot of the people who are ticketed and jailed by Maplewood um, were not necessarily Maplewood residents, um, but folks who had to drive through there or to there for work, for school, for um, daily, you know, accessing daily goods and things like that. So if that was primarily um, the the reasons, if those were the reasons folks were coming in and out of Maplewood, what sorts of crimes were folks being cited for? And as I use that word, does crime appropriately capture what folks were doing? I mean, are these dangerous people? These are not dangerous people. These are people living, trying their best to live their lives in a capitalist society that does not uh, give them the tools and resources they need. Um, and I would say that I would push back on the term crimes, um, that municipal uh, tickets are typically referred to as infractions. These are uh, uh, minor offenses that don't directly harm people. Now, there are still, I'm sure there are still people who are arrested for, you know, violent crimes in Maplewood as they might be anywhere else, but that's not what this lawsuit was about. This is about the everyday folks who were ticketed for things like um, expired license plates, um, broken taillights, um, things that if you had money, you could fix and you wouldn't be in violation of the law. Mm -hmm. um, but because they didn't have money, they were ticketed and jailed, which actually makes compliance even exponentially more difficult. Okay. So was there sort of a, a concentration of citations that were uh, somehow vehicular in some way? Yes. Most of the, most of the um, class members and most of the charges that we, we saw in our lawsuit um, were traffic-related. Okay. It's an interesting connection to mobility. <laughs> it is. Note, we've heard um, from Frank Williams uh, just a little already, and he, again, is one of the lead plaintiffs in this lawsuit. Talk with us, Nathaniel, about what Frank experienced. So um, Frank, in his own words, um, experienced a great deal of what he felt was mistreatment, um, both by Maplewood and other jails that he was passed to af afterwards. Um, but the the core of Frank's experience is also not unique to Frank. It's it's that's part of what a class action is. Is mm -hmm. saying that Frank had this experience uh, where because he couldn't afford to. I think he mentions uh, he had a, a dents in his truck, and that might have been the reason he got pulled over because he couldn't fix those broken pieces of his truck. He got pulled over or ticketed. Um, and there were warrants for unpaid fines and, and court dates he couldn't get to because of mobility, like you said. Um, 
so that was Frank's experience, but it's also just like uh, thousands and thousands of other people who are all once, whatever the reason for the initial ticket, once they were brought into Maplewood's system, jailed, made to pay bond to, to be released or to sit in jail for days, weeks on end, that experience happened to everyone who came through there. Mm-hmm. No, no, we, we allege that nobody got the proper uh, hearings that are required to determine whether there's a flight risk mm-hmm. or a danger to the community. Okay. We need to take a quick break, but we will pick up with this conversation when we come back. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. We're talking about a $3.25 million settlement in a class action lawsuit filed in 2016 against the city of Maplewood, which had been accused of running a modern-day version of a debtor's prison. And here discussing that recent development, we have Nathaniel Carroll, a senior staff attorney at Arch City Defenders, which filed that class action lawsuit back in 2016. This is St. Louis on the Air, so we do have someone on the air with a question or comment. It is Ron from Ferguson. Welcome, Ron. Uh, yes, uh, I would like to know, what, what what do you do with a person who has multiple violations of speeding and not paying tickets, not getting their driver's license renewed, not um, having the proper insurance? I think those in, in, in those individuals are a danger to the community, and that's a safety thing. And I think when it comes to safety, there's a different set of standards. Now, I do understand minor infractions, no problem. But when you have those particular situations, it is very dangerous for the general public. Like I remember the guy who had been let out multiple times, was doing 100 miles down Natural Bridge and cut a woman in half and just kept going. Mm-hmm. And so we have to deal with those issues, too. Right, right. So, Nathaniel, what what do you say to that? And did you have people coming to you for representation who had those kinds of records? Um, I, I'm not familiar with this kind of this particular instance, but generally there are are people who do have multiple tickets, multiple infractions. There, what we see is that they're not they're mo- overwhelmingly not repeat uh, speeding offenders. And one of the mechanisms that's in place is the point system on our licenses. So the person described who is um, not, you know, getting multiple speeding tickets and maybe causing accidents, those all have sort of immediate consequences in the form of points that are assessed on a license. Um, And if if you have enough points assessed, then your license gets suspended. And so that's one way to keep folks off the road who are truly dangerous. Um, The primary goal of ticketing folks who have these what I would call crimes of poverty, essentially, or infractions that are rooted in poverty, is that the solution is to provide them the resources they need. Mm-hmm. People people need money. Imagine an alternative where in, instead of pulling someone over and ticketing them for a broken taillight, a police officer gave them a voucher to get that fixed um, or ha- ha- helped them fix it. Um, and that's that's there's no public safety, there, there's very little public safety concern um, when people have those things provided for them. Right. Now, to this point that you're making about crimes of, of poverty, not being able to to pay for infractions, um, and it's not a denial that those infractions have happened, they're just not able to pay for those. 
Uh, on Monday, Frank Williams spoke with our producer, Danny Wissentowski, and he said his experience has made him afraid to travel anywhere in Maplewood. And you'd mentioned people go there to work, right? Um, and for Frank, going to Maplewood is something that he did not want to do anymore because the journey could lead to him being thrown back in jail. Low-class people get treated worse than the people that got money. If, they, if we don't have no money, we get treated like animals and dogs. Because they had me in jail, like I said, for a while. The first jail, they didn't let you wash up. Then the second jail, they just let you wash up one time. That was it. And that's, that's outrageous. Now, as a reminder, Frank was in jail moving between multiple jails for two weeks without access to regular showers. But he also was in jail. He was not doing what he would normally need to do. How else did these arrests uh, disrupt people's lives and their livelihoods? Um, I think anyone listening can imagine um, sitting where they are right now, probably, ostensibly, um, with some sort of ability to move about your, your day, take care of your your affairs and to go to work and earn income to pay for things that you need and to be kidnapped or uh, extracted from that environment for an unknown amount of time. Um, You're not going to be bringing in income from your daily job. Mm -hmm. In fact, you might lose your job. You might also then lose housing. And so it's a cascading effect that um, contributes to more problems than it solves. Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about Maplewood and about Frank Williams there are many other people who are represented because it is a class action lawsuit. But this system of debtors' prisons really gained a lot of attention during the Ferguson protests of 2014. Now, what did we learn then about how these municipalities, at least in this area, uh, were using their courts and jails? I think that movement, which stemmed from the killing of Mike Brown, um, had been building. Um, the, the tension and the pressure and frustration had been bo- borne by the, the individuals and the residents in those municipalities for decades. Um, it, I, once the uprising happened in Ferguson and the Department of Justice came in to start scrutinizing Ferguson's practices, um, folks rightly pointed out, and, 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 and by folks I mean the community and the movement, um, that it's not just Ferguson. Um, Arch City Defenders at the time had, had released a white paper outlining several municipalities that have this common practice um, of jailing people pursuant to some arbitrary amount of money that they must pay to buy their freedom. Um, and, and so from that uprising, we at Arch City Defenders started bringing litigation. We, in 2015, it was against the city of Jennings and the city of Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2016, we started um, bringing suits against some of these other municipalities, even some of the more affluent mun- municipalities like Florissant and Maplewood in 2016. Mm-hmm. So you're mentioning these other similar class action lawsuits. You're still suing Florissant. That's correct. Ferguson. St. Anne. Yep. Are these places still running debtors' prisons? Um, Well, so (laughs) to be determined, um, I'll say in Florissant and Ferguson, those cases are still ongoing. Okay. Um, We've received uh, favorable decisions on our motions for class certification. So both Ferguson and Florissant are now officially class actions, Mm -hmm. which means there are about thousands of people. 
Um, and both suits are aimed to correct those practices and retrieve money and give it back to the people mm -hmm. who suffered under those systems. Um, court looks a little bit different in Ferguson, partly because of the, the DOJ consent decree. Um, in Florissant, um, the, the court courtroom is typically pretty packed still, which at least tells us that they're issuing a lot of tickets. Um, and, and they do still jail people. Um, we don't know 100% what goes on behind the scenes. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, part of what litigation is supposed to meet out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how is it that these cities defend this practice? Uh, how do they afford to defend it? Or? Oh, well, I'm, I don't know. There's that too. Um, so the the cities typically have insurance companies that will hire counsel for them and pay those bills to defend it. And so the cities might not directly feel the the cost of, of defense. Mm -hmm. um, on, and then how they defend it, uh, their, I mean, the, the main strategy is this isn't, the experiences of the individual plaintiffs aren't typical of a class, because once the case turns into a class action, it becomes a much bigger, um, a, a bigger problem for them to resolve. So they try to evade it by talking about what it does not classify, uh, qualify as, as a lawsuit. Are there any ways that they claim that the practice is, is defensible? Um, it's less about defending the practice itself and more about um, trying to shift the onus of who's making those decisions onto the municipal court. Mm -hmm. and the reason they do that is because of a concept called judicial immunity, okay. where um, a, a court or a judge cannot typically be sued for money damages. Um, and, and the way we demonstrate that it's not the courts is by showing all the ways the police department, the city clerks, um, and, the, and the staff um, even within the court, all who are paid by uh, by the cities, um, that that they're the real decision makers in mm -hmm. in in this situation. We're talking about a three point two five million dollar settlement in a class action lawsuit filed in twenty sixteen against the city of Maplewood, which had been accused of running a modern day version of a debtor's prison. And we're discussing that with senior um, Arch City. Defender's attorney, senior staff attorney, Nathaniel Carroll. Um, we're also talking about the way that it applies not only to Maplewood, but uh, surrounding areas as well. What has changed in the cities where the suits have been brought um, since the, the settlements have happened in Maplewood and also in Jennings, uh, Normandy, and Edmondson? Um, so in in Jennings, um, there was actually injunctive relief that was um, that was agreed to as part of the settlement. And what that means is it's an order that, that, that Jennings has to abide by. And so now when someone misses court, um, then they get another reminder that there's court. And if they miss court after that, then a warrant might go out for their arrest. Mm -hmm. But at the time that they're arrested, they don't have to pay money. They are booked, given a new court date, and released, um, and, and sometimes given a form that says, if, if you don't appear at court again after having missed it several times, then you waive your right to plea not guilty and the fines will be assessed against you. Mm -hmm. So there's more, sort of more layers of steps in between to give people an opportunity to avoid arrest and actually take care of the ticket. Mm -hmm. um, and then any unpaid debts go to a civil debt collector. So that's sort of the goal. Um, that's a, a, a less... Um, abuse, <laughs> less, less um, disruptive system. Sure. 
in the other other places, um, some of the court proce courtroom procedures might have changed, um, and and we hope that um, we'll continue to see folks getting those new court dates rather than getting jailed when mm -hmm. they when they can't make it to court or they can't pay those fines. Now, on Monday, after we uh, or when we spoke with Frank Williams, we asked him whether this the Maplewood settlement feels like a victory after all these years. And his response is probably predictable. And here's what he said. No, that don't feel like no victory to me. I'm glad it, it got settled up. But that's not a victory because they still got to straighten out the prejudice. We got to get rid of that. It'll be better for everybody. So, Nathaniel, does Frank have a point here? <laughs> I think so. I mean, Frank has the lived experience that I don't. Um, he, he's a, a black man who's grown up in St. Louis County in this region. Um, and has experienced a lifetime of that. And so I, I really, um, I, I agree. I, I think that while it, it might not be, it's not necessarily what we filed the lawsuit about. Mm -hmm. We know the, the populations that are impacted most uh, harmfully by this and, and most severely are people who are um, minorities, people mm -hmm. in black communities and people living in poverty. And to wrap this, Insofar as the settlement goes, that $3.25 million, who is eligible to receive a share of the settlement, and how did they become part of this process? I'm so glad you asked. Um, people who were jailed by Maplewood or paid fines and fees to Maplewood between November 1 of 2011 and November 18 of 2021, so over a 10-year period, may be entitled to receive money. All they have to do is call the class action administrator to update their address. That number is one eight hundred? Excuse me, one eight 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 four seven seven one seven seven nine. We also have a website called MaplewoodClassAction.com. Folks just need to verify their address, and checks go out in June. Okay, and that is information we will also include on our website, uh, STL's Public Radio. On air dot show. Nathaniel Carroll is a senior staff attorney at Arch City Defenders. Nathaniel, thank you so much for, for coming. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. With audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.